Psalm chapter 19 in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a familiar passage for many of us. A beautiful passage. In fact, maybe the most uh, poetic passage in the book of Psalm as it, co- as it uh, pertains to the English language. I told the uh, 8.30 service that I feel as though God had this crafted in Hebrew the way He did, knowing it would be translated into English to have a rhyme to it. And it's just uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, so poetic and, and so true. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the verses responsively, meaning every other verse out loud together. And we're going to begin together in verse 7 and then read every other verse. So 7, 9, and 11 together, and I'll read 8 and 10 alone. Let's begin in verse number 7. Read, read with some enthusiasm this morning. Here we go. Ready? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. We're in the middle of a series of sermons on Sunday morning entitled The Power of Love. And we're going to look specifically this morning at this title, Love Conserves. Love Conserves. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the message, not only in our head, but Lord, to be convinced in our heart to go forth and live it. Lord, there's some mindsets that need to change in all of us. There's some growing all of us need to do. And Lord, I think of what you told your disciples in John 8, when you said, "Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And Lord, I know that's what we want, is freedom in Christ. So Lord, enable us to understand the message in our head, but Lord, then inspire us to go forth and live it within our day-to-day, within our heart. And Lord, help us today to love you. Help us today, Lord, to understand your love deeper and better. And Lord, help us today to leave determined to share your love with a world that's broken around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me, if I can, encourage you to make it back this evening at 6 p.m. On Sunday evenings, we've been going verse by verse through the book of 1 John. And we started in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, and we've just been going verse by verse, letting the Word of God preach to us and speak to us uh, in the pattern in which the truths are laid out there uh, in the passage. What I have found with great amazement is that I, what I preach on Sunday morning ends up, uh, just coincidentally, uh, the truths line up perfectly, oftentimes with what we're coming, uh, preaching on Sunday evening. In fact, sometimes they line up so closely, I feel like I'm preaching the same sermon in the morning that I'm preaching uh, in the evening. Sunday morning has been topical. Sunday evening has been exegetical or verse by verse. And I'd encourage you to be back tonight. We'll begin chapter 5, the final chapter of 1 John this evening, and we'll look at the first three verses. And uh, I know the Lord has a lot for us out of that passage. Um, We are in the middle of a series uh, on Sunday mornings entitled The Power of Love. Way back in the beginning of the year, we looked at our first uh, series of sermons, um, and we looked at uh, the description of love. Uh, We looked at uh, the definition of love, if you will, and we laid out what 
love was from a biblical standpoint. And I try to help everyone understand that my definition of love and your definition of love honestly is broken. And we need God to revolutionize the way we look at this idea of loving God and loving others and the way that God loves us. And then we looked secondly at the people that we are supposed to love. And we laid out person by person in Scripture who we have been commanded to love. Now we're in our third series of the year, the power of God's love or the power of love. And boy, we need to understand just how powerful of an agent God's love is. I had no idea back in um, uh, September, August or September a year ago, 2019, when I chose this theme for our church, Love Works, I had no idea what was coming in 2020. But can I speak uh, to you that on a personal level, and then as a pastor, uh, so personal level at home, as a pastor here at church, and as a citizen of this state and of this country, uh, my love has been challenged greater and deeper than any other year that I've been alive. How many of you can say that your love has really been challenged this year? How many of you God has shown you where your love is broken a little bit this year? Amen. God has shown me where my love is broken this year. Boy, Christians, we need to learn how to love God's way. We also need to learn how to identify when God is loving us and then share that love with the world around us. So uh, we are on our third sermon in this series. We began by looking at the truth that love cleanses. Love cleanses. We looked at Psalm chapter 51 and we saw how that David had, had uh, soiled himself spiritually. He had fooled around with another man's wife and impregnated her. And then to cover up his sin, he had uh, her husband Uriah killed in battle at his command. And so adultery and murder. And then God sent Nathan to put the prophet to put his finger in David's face and say, David, you're guilty. Thou art the man. And David then would fall on his face. And in that we get the 51st Psalm. David is weeping and he's crying because God has laid out for him the consequences of his wrongdoing. And David says, uh, heal me in your tender, loving kindness, your loving kindness, verse 1 of Psalm 51. And we saw that in that sermon, we saw that we're all filthy because of sin. And the cleansing agent for us is God's love. God heals us and cleanses us in his love. Uh, Last week, we looked at the truth that love converts And we saw John chapter 3, how that we are condemned because we believe not. But when we turn and we see that God so loved the world, we go from being condemned to claimed. We go from being an orphan spiritually to being adopted in the family of God. Furthermore, we saw that God's love can convert us from being broken into something beautiful. He can take us from being a sour, bitter person and make us into someone who is sweet. And we saw that God's love wants to convert you. It wants to take you from being trash in the kingdom of Satan to being recycled and reused and repurposed within the kingdom of God. We saw that love converts. Today we'll look at this truth that love conserves. We'll talk about that more here in a minute. Now, to promo the next three weeks 
on Sunday morning. Next week, we'll look at the truth that love conquers. Love conquers. Out of Romans chapter 8, it says um, uh, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then 2 Corinthians talks about how that love constrains or it limits me. It keeps me from doing certain things because I am loved by God. And then we'll finish out the series looking at love compels. I I ought to use the love of God to push and compel other people to do what's right. And so love compels. Uh, This morning we will turn our attention to this truth that God's love is powerful enough to conserve us. To conserve us. What does it mean to conserve something? Well, the dictionary defines conserve this way. It means to guard or protect. It means to use or manage wisely, to preserve or to save. God, through His love, wants to conserve you. He wants to keep you safely under His watch care. By way of introduction uh, here, let me give you three ways, and there's many more, but three ways that God is working to conserve us. Our eternal life is conserved by God Himself. Uh, Let me share with you two of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible, definitely of the Gospels. John chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 28 and 29, listen to these words. It says, Jesus says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man Pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that wonderful to know that your eternal life is conserved by God in heaven? It says that his, your eternal life, uh, it shall, that you'll never perish. You'll never perish. You say, well, pastor, what if I mess up? The Bible calls it eternal. Well, you say, well, pastor, what if I do wrong? The Bible says that once you've been saved that you'll never perish. The Bible says that you are being held in the hand of Jesus Christ himself and that no man can remove you. That includes yourself. You say, well, pastor, I don't want to be saved anymore. I want to give up on my salvation. Jesus Christ has got you in his hand and he's never going to let you go. And on top of that, God the Father has wrapped his hands around the son's hands and you will never, ever be removed, be removed from that omnipotent force. Our eternal life is conserved by God himself. Let me give you another one here. Our earthly life is conserved for his perfecting. Uh, God is trying to do a work in you. He's trying to perfect you. Listen to Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. The Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. It is a guaranteed thing. He will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ or unto the return of Jesus Christ. Listen, uh, everything that comes into your life, both good and bad, everything that comes into your life, both good and bad, God is using to work a perfect work within you. You know, um, in the last several years, I'll have something really bad happen to me. And used to be, when something bad would happen to me, I would just uh, say, Lord, what are you doing? What's going on? 
Why are you allowing this hardship? Why are you allowing this person to treat me this way? Why are you allowing uh, uh, this set of circumstances to happen? And, and I get my spirit all out of sorts. And I get all sideways. And a few years ago, the Lord began to show me through a verse like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that everything that comes into my life, God has brought there for a purpose. Everything. And so now, what I try to do, I can't say I do it every time, but what I try to do in short order is when something bad happens, I say, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? What is your plan? What are you trying to work in my life? You see, God is working to conserve my earthly life for His purpose. So we see that our eternal life is conserved, our earthly life is conserved, and then we see this one, our heavenly treasures are conserved by God. Are conserved by God. Our heavenly treasures that we store up are conserved. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says this, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But, notice the contrast here, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through, and, uh, nor, nor, where thieves do not break through, nor steal. You know, um, banks have gotten really good at coming up with all sort of safety protocols in order to keep our money safe. We all know this, right? If you have your money in a major bank, boy, they've got all kinds of things to keep people from stealing your money. And I've had people get hold of my credit card number in the past or my bank card number, and they've spent my money. And the bank is even quick to hurry up and replace that money. And banks do everything they can to guard our money. I've seen people, they get big vaults that are uh, attached to the foundation of their home and uh, big, heavy steel doors. You know, the best vault, uh, if someone really, really wants to get into it, they can. And there are people that are really smart and can break through no matter what safety protocols uh, are in place for banks and they can steal, steal your money. Can I tell you, though, that the treasures we laid up in heaven aren't protected by J.P. Morgan? or by Wells Fargo, or um, uh, by Citizens Bank, they're protected by God Himself. Those treasures that we store up, they're eternal. You know, um, uh, in, uh, in my years of being an ad- a married adult, my wife and I have been able to sock away just a couple of dollars. Not a lot, but we've been able to put away a little bit of money uh, through both of us working and uh, uh, save toward uh, uh, an emergency-type fund. Can I tell you, though, that uh, we could have a hardship hit us tomorrow that would drain every account we have dry. Um, uh, in our years of being married, we've been able to buy a house. And uh, we're, we've been able to do that in the last three years. We're thankful to be able to purchase our own place. You know, one day our house is going to burn up with a fervent heat. This world is going to be burned by fire. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The clothes that I wear will eventually turn old and be thrown into a donation bucket or given away become so threadbare they can't be worn anymore. You you get what I'm saying here is that our earthly treasures we value so much, you can't take it with you. What's the old phrase? You'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Right? Can't take it with you. Heard about a man who, who worked his whole life to buy a Rolls Royce. When he died, he requested that he be buried in the ground in his Rolls Royce. You know what? His body may have stayed in that Rolls Royce. His soul didn't get to take the Rolls Royce with him. We work so hard to accumulate wealth. 
For what? Why? You know, if I told you that I could give you a bank account that would have a million dollars in it for an hour, or you could choose to have a bank account that had $100,000 in it always, no matter how much you spent for the rest of your life, which one would you pick? You'd pick the second one, wouldn't you? But see, Christians, we lose perspective. And we're, we're, we're quick to store up treasure on earth. Why? You're going to have that for five minutes. You're going to have what you store up in heaven for all of eternity. And the great news is, is that God conserves what we put away. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool that gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What a great truth. When you lose your life, you keep it. Amen? You give away your finances and your wealth to the gospel being propagated and preached and shared all over the world. Boy, you store up eternal riches in heaven. And you know who is watching guard over our eternal bank account? God Himself. God's love conserves us. I propose that if you feel neglected and ignored by God, then it isn't He that's forgotten you, it's you that has forgotten God. There's a story about a little Chihuahua dog that had a big ego. Chihuahuas have a big ego, do they not? They yelp and bark. Man, they're fierce. And I'll go door to door here in the area and knock on doors and invite people to church. And I'm not generally scared of big dogs. I don't like those little Chihuahuas, man. They, they nip at your heels. They, they, I've had them draw blood on me. And uh, there's a story about a little Chihuahua who lived inside a fence, and man, he hated that fence. It was a suburbia-type town, and uh, there was sidewalks around the home, and every day this big bulldog would come uh, with his owner on a walk past that Chihuahua. And man, the Chihuahua would just stand at that fence and bark at that bulldog all the way up and down, and every day the Chihuahua would be sitting on the porch, and that bulldog would come uh, walking by, and that Chihuahua would take off the, uh, from the porch, and he'd just run, every viber is big was shaking and he's yelping and barking he'd throw himself against the gate the gate was locked and he'd bounce off the gate and he'd run up and down the fence and he'd tell that bulldog in dog lane she says boy you better be glad that gate's closed I'd come up there and I'd rip you to shreds and that bulldog would just laugh at him well one day the gate got left unlocked the latch wasn't closed all the way and that little chihuahua threw himself up against that gate and Man, that gate swung wide open, and that bulldog just about had himself some lunch. He definitely got himself some bites in, and that chihuahua went back on the porch. And that chihuahua had a new appreciation for the fence. Christian, how do you view the fence of God's laws that He puts around you? You scoff and mock and say, Oh, the Bible's just a book of rules and it's hard to live by. Oh, no, 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 no. God gives us His commandments and His laws, not because He hates us, but because He loves us. And Christian, what can happen is we wander outside of the fence of God's laws and we get hurt. And then we turn around and say, but God, I thought you loved me. And God says, I love you, and I'm not going to stop loving you, but you'll feel my love the most and you'll understand it the best if you'll learn to appreciate the boundaries that I establish for you. God doesn't give us those boundaries to make our life miserable. Oh no, He puts them there to protect us from the bulldogs of life. This morning, I want to show you three ways out of Psalm 19 that God uses His love to conserve the Christian. Way number one. Notice, His his precepts conserve us. His precepts. Precepts 
is a Bible word that describes the Bible. Psalm chapter 19, look at verse number 7, and look here at how the Bible is describing itself, or the psalmist is describing the Bible. It says there, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. We see here that God's Word is described as a law. It is described as a testimony, as statues, as commandments. The Word of God is described as the fear of the Lord. And lastly here, it's described as judgments. What does God's Word do to us if we will fall in love with it? What does God's Word provide to us if we will follow it, if we will embrace it, if we will live, do our best to live inside of the ecosystem of the Bible. Well, we see here, according to Psalm 19, verse 7 through 10, we see here that God's Word converts our soul, that it makes wise those who are simple, that it rejoices our hearts, that it, it enlightens our eyes, it becomes more desired than gold, and it tastes sweeter to our spiritual mouths than honey does to our physical mouths. Hold your place in Psalm 19 and turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. You're going to want to hold a marker in both places if you can, and we're going to bounce back and forth between the two psalms. David authored both psalms, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. And uh, Psalm 19 was the easy one to author. Psalm 119 was a marathon author, all right? I believe there's, uh, was it 165, 169 verses and uh, wow, what a what a run there! And a little literary thing here: uh, you take the Hebrew alphabet, and he he has uh, I think it's eight verses attached. Is it eight verses? I don't have Psalm one nineteen open in front of me. Is there someone talk to me? One hundred seventy six. How many are beneath each Hebrew letter? Eight verses below each one, and so um, uh, it's it's set out very uh, very well from a literary standpoint. Look with me at verse ninety seven, and we'll see here. How God's precepts, God's law conserves us. Look here. Oh, how I love thy law. Christian, can you say that? Do you love God's law? Can I just say this to you real quick? If reading it every day is a struggle, you don't love it enough. If meditating on it each day is a struggle, then you need to love it a little more. Amen? Let's see what it provides for us. Let's keep reading. It is thy med- my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments. Look how positive David views God's commandments. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. For they are ever with me. Look here, verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. But thy testimonies are my meditation. Verse 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments. For thou hast 
taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Read verse 105 with me. Ready? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does God's word provide for us? How does it conserve us? Well, it makes me wiser. It provides me wisdom. You know, um, there are a lot of people who are smart in this world that make really dumb decisions. Now, they can sit down and explain to you some pretty heavy stuff. They make some really rash decisions. You know what God's Word does? It gives us wisdom. You know what else it does? It provides for us academia. makes us smart. Look here, it says in verse 99... That it, or rather, verse, yeah, verse 99, it makes us smarter than the teachers. Wouldn't you like to be smarter than your teacher? <laughs> Especially those of you that are still in school. Not only does it make you smarter than a teacher, it makes you smarter than the ancients or those who've passed away. Look at verse 101. It says that it refrains my feet. You ever been surrounded by a temptation? And you're wanting to give in to the temptation? And you think, Pastor, I can't help it. I'm so weak in this area. And, and I don't know how to follow and, and, and the Lord. And, and Listen, you fall in love with God's Word. And you make it your meditation all the days. And it re- provides for you a refraining of your feet. Restraint to help you do what's right. Not only that, but it helps you stay inside of the boundaries of the judicial laws of God. It gives you more understanding. It provides light for your feet. It provides a, a lamp for your feet, rather, and a light for your path. Turn your Bibles over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you're in Psalm, that's two books to the right. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's 12 chapters long. And so turn to the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. David's son Solomon, he was the wisest man to ever live. In fact, when he took over the throne, he was so overwhelmed by the responsibility of being king of Israel that he made his way to a little retreat. And he got on his face and he said, God, I I am so uh, naive and wet behind the ears that I, I don't even know how to go in and come out of my own palace. He said, Lord, I am overwhelmed by the responsibility of being the king of your people. And God came down to him and said, Solomon, I'll give you one wish. What is it that you want? And Solomon said to God, he said, I need an understanding heart. I need your wisdom. And God said, because you did not ask for power or fame or wealth, I'm going to give you uh, uh, wisdom, but I'm also going to give you these other things as long as you follow me. And you know what? Solomon would be the wisest man, the Bible says, ever to live. But Solomon did not always use that wisdom the right way. You see, um, Solomon used his wisdom, his leg up on others to make himself rich, to make himself famous, And make himself powerful. You know, those three things carry with them a very heavy lie. I can remember when I was on uh, Facebook. And I'd put a post out there. And I can remember when I'd get more than 100 likes. I was like, yeah. This is a good one. Occasionally, I'd get over 150 likes. And I'm like, ah, right. You know what I was hungry for? Fame. Fame. You know, famous people check themselves into rehabs all the time because they're broken. 
Fame carries with it the lie that the more people know me, the happier I'll be. You know that's a total lie from the devil? How about power? People grab for power. You know what power is? Power equals headaches. The more power you have, the more responsibility you have. The more responsibility you have, the more headaches you have. You know, there's a way to keep from ever getting criticized ever again. You know how to do it? Just don't do nothing. If you don't do nothing, no one will bother you. You want to get criticized? Stick your head above the crowd. It is certain if you stick your head above the crowd, someone's going to try to lop it off. Guaranteed. People that have power, boy, they have a lot of responsibility. And that causes a lot of people to crumble. How about money? Boy, money would solve all my problems. How many believe money would solve all your problems? I see one person who's yawning in the back. Amen. (laughs) Money doesn't solve your problems, does it? But you know what? We fall into the trap of if I just had more money, I could make my problems go away. Um, Christian, all of that is vain. It's empty. It's empty. Having another zero behind the one in your bank account, my zeros go in front of my ones, amen? <laughs> Having another zero behind the one in your bank account isn't going to make you any happier. It might for a short time. Long term, it won't. Having one more follower on social media, it's not going to do it. You know what makes us happy? You know what makes us joyous, rather? Is when we do what Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 tells us. Look there. Look at verse 1. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. You know what it's saying here is, When you're young and you have your whole life out in front of you, that is the time to remember your Creator. Here Solomon is writing this. He's at the end of his life. He's wasted his good years. He's wasted his good years chasing power and fame and money. And Ecclesiastes chapter 2 describes how that he had everything. He had the world on a string. He had so much wealth that he had a choir of men and a separate choir of women that sat around and did nothing all day until he wanted them to sing. And they'd come in and they were ready to sing at the drop of that. He had orchestras that would come in and play for him whenever he wanted. You know how much wealth you'd have to have to pull that off? And he got to the end of his life and he said, I pursued the wrong thing. I should have pursued my Creator. Look at verse number 8 with me. Down at verse number 8 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We find a phrase that you find all throughout the book. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. All that wealth I accrued, all that fame I got, all that power I had. He said, I'm at the end of my life and I have the proper perspective. It's vanity. Look at verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still sought, uh, taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and said, in order, meaning Proverbs, that would be our book of Proverbs, the preacher sought to find out the acceptable words and that which was written from upright, even words of truth. Look down at verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here it is. Here's the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. 
You know what he's saying? That word keep means to guard or to cherish or to love or to preserve. He's saying keep, guard, cherish, preserve, love, appreciate, follow, enjoy the Word of God. That will help you to fear God. You want to be conserved? You want God to conserve you throughout your whole life? Then keep His commandments. Look at verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We see, number one, His precepts conserve us. Number two, notice, His punishment conserves us. His punishment conserves us. Go back to Psalm chapter 19 with me. Look at verse number 11. It says there, moreover by them, look, look at this next phrase, is thy servant warned, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Now we see here the, the, um, the extremes, we see here the great reward if we follow God's word, but at the beginning of the verse we see that we're warned if we don't follow God's word. How many of you here ever had your mom or dad, maybe you have, you're a parent, you've done this to your child? How many of you here ever brought your child in and said, this is it. This is your last warning. You're going to do it this time or else. I remember my dad would get so aggravated at me sometimes when I was a little boy. He'd grab me by my ear and pull me where he wanted me to go. How many of you ever got pulled by your ear when you were growing up? Okay? The rest of you say, no, I wasn't abused like you were. Amen. I'm not advocating pulling your kids by the ear, okay? I just, that's just what happened to me sometimes growing up. My dad would get hold of our ear, and you know, when someone gets hold of your ear, you go where they're pulling. He'd pull me to the side and he'd say, hey, th- th- that ain't happening again. That right there that you just did, or that attitude you just had, you think your ear hurts, a whole lot more than that's going to hurt. You keep this up. And you know what God's Word does for us? It incentivizes us with great reward, but it also reminds us, boy, you don't do what's right. You have the punishing hand of God coming your way. Look at verse 12. Who can understand his errors or his own errors? Look here, cleanse thou me from... Read those next two words with me, would you? Secret faults. If you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, would you underline those two words, secret faults? Keep back thy servant also from... Next two words presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgressions. Look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David says here, Lord, I want to do right, both outwardly where others see it, and inwardly where only me and you see it. Your commandments warn me that if I step outside of the boundaries of your commandments, then there will be consequences. Lord, I don't want to be guilty of sin, not even in the secret confines of my heart. Look there at uh, verse number 12. Secret faults. What are secret faults? Those secret faults are areas that you struggle with where only you and God know it. Do you have an area like that in your life? Where if other people were to find out, you'd be so embarrassed? Oftentimes we even try to hide that from God. But can we tell you, can I just be honest, you can't? Hey, 
let me also add this. Don't be afraid to be brutally honest with God in your prayer time. Tell God how much you struggle and where you struggle. And go into great detail. He already knows. He's not sitting there going, How scandalous! He already knows. And you know what? He loves you anyway. You know what presumptuous sins are? Presumptuous sins are those sins that we do and just kind of shrug our shoulders at. And well, yeah, I've got a struggle there, but everyone's got a struggle somewhere. Oh, no, no, no. What a terrible attitude. Well, you know what? Yeah, I tell people off, but I'm Irish. I can't help it. Or I'm Italian. That's just how we are. Or I'm a Spanish woman. I just give people a piece of my mind. Amen. I'm married to a Spanish woman. Amen. You know what? Those sins that we just shrug our shoulders at, they break the heart of God. You know what God does to us? He punishes us. Turn back to Psalm 119 with me. Psalm 119, and look with me, if you will, at verse number 73. We're going to read down through verse number 76. Look here. Thy hands have made me. And fashioned me. Psalm 119, verse 73. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. You know how God's hand makes us? Oh, this is speaking of the process in the womb where we're formed. But it's also speaking of God forming our character through His punishment. He fashions us with His hand. Give me understanding that I may learn Thy commandments. Verse 74. They that fear Thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. You know, that word fear there means to deeply reverence or respect. God wants to know, do you fear him? Another application here, and really the direct interpretation of the verse, who are you trying to impress? You see, we ought to be impressing people who fear God. Some of us are too busy with what people think about us. The only people you should be worried about whether or not uh, what they think about you are people who are in love with God and fearing God. Look at verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. And look at the rest of the verse here. That thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Let I pray thee thy merciful kindness be uh, be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant. You know, God does not love you if He does not punish you. It's part of what He does. He corrects us. Solomon would word it this way in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as a father the son in whom He delighteth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 words it this way, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them who were exercised thereby. Many people have this view of God that He's up in heaven and He's got a stick and He's just waiting for you to take one step in the wrong direction. Wham! He just hits you upside the head. Can I tell you, that's not how God works. God's not looking to beat you. God's not angry at you. He's not this seething, angry man that's just waiting for you to step out of line so they can rain down fire and brimstone on your head. 
That's not how God works. No, God corrects us. God punishes us, but He never punishes us more than is necessary than what it takes to get back in line. You know, I have um, I have two children, and sometimes they need to be corrected. And I send them to their room, and uh, they know they're in trouble. Can I tell you what I don't do? I don't barge into their room with an angry spirit and beat them. I don't do that. You know why I don't do that? Because of those kids, they view me the way they view God. And so I want to make sure I punish them the way God punishes me. I go in their room and I'm prayed up and under control and I sit down next to them and I get them to admit their wrongdoing and then I administrate the punishment to them and tears are drawn and Hugs are given and we pray and we see repentance and we end with them back on track to do right. Can I tell you, that's God's Spirit when He punishes us. I cringe at the thought that one day one of my children would look at me at the end of the punishing process and instead of hugging me would push me away would reject that. Dad, I don't want your punishment. I don't want your spirit. I don't want what you're doing. You hate me. That's why you punish me. And many people, God brings down the rod. He spanks them spiritually. He punishes them. And they look up at God and say, if you loved me, you wouldn't. And God says, I do it because I love you. And at that moment, we're being chastened by the Lord. We may not like it, but God is trying to work a work within us. He's trying to perfect us. He's trying to make us into His image. And sometimes He has to correct us. Some Christians, when God, when bad things come in their life, immediately they turn around and say, God, if you loved me, why would you do this to me? And God says, I'm doing this to you because I love you. Let me ask you a question, Christian. When bad comes into your life, what's the first question you ask yourself? Can I tell you the first question I ask myself when bad comes into my life? Immediately I stop and say, Lord, have I stepped out of bounds? Are you correcting me? Are you punishing me? And you know what I find oftentimes the answer is? Yep. Then why would I be upset with God if I'm the one that stepped out of bounds? God is trying to conserve me. And He uses a loving hand of punishment to do so. We see here that His precepts conserve. His Punishment conserves. Quickly, lastly, number three, His providence conserves. This will be the quickest of the three points. Please look back with me at Psalm 19 and verse number one. We're almost done here. The Bible says there, The heavens declare or shout or scream or proclaim the glory of God. And the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out uh, throughout all the earth, and their words uh, to the uh, end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and His circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Turn over to Psalm 119 and look with me at verse number 69. What Psalm 19 is saying is that God's glory is everywhere. God's glory made the earth. God's glory formed the firmaments. God's glory is understood in every language of the world. Look at Psalm 119 verse 69. The, the proud hath forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. 
I love the shot David takes at his enemies here. Look at verse 70. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Can you underline verse 71 in your Bibles? It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. Oftentimes, when bad things come into our life, and I'm talking about severely bad things come into our life, we step back and we ask this question, God, if you love me, why would you let that happen? Unfortunately, we live in a world where children get abused every day. I'm not going to chase this rabbit, but I'm just going to make one statement right here. There's a lot of complaining about slavery that happened in this country's history 150 years ago. And and, and that slavery was wrong. It was wrong. Did you know that there's more people enslaved right now in the world than that ever was enslaved in the slave trade all those years ago? America is in the top five countries in the world for children who are being sold in the sex slavery market. You want something to be enraged about. You want something to be upset about. There you go. There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of hurt in the world. Boy, people do things that cut us deep. And we step back and say, God, if you loved me, why would you let that happen? God says, I can take all of the bad in the world that happens to you, and if you give me enough time, I can make it into something beautiful. I can use the bad and turn it into something good in your life. Turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Let's finish the message there this morning. God is all-powerful. No matter what wrong someone does to you, God knows how to take that, put it into a mixing bowl, add in His own ingredients of His own goodness, And out comes a product that is far more beautiful than we could ever understand. Look at verse 28 of Romans 8. And we know... Let's read the verse together, can we? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You see, the prerequisites of this verse is that you must love God and you must be living the calling of of, of His... His calling on your life. You must be doing your best to live that out. You know what God is trying to do in His providence, in His sovereignty? He's trying to conserve you. God does not stop mankind's free will from doing some awful things. But God can take those awful things and turn it into something beautiful if we allow it. You know, um, many people do not like the way that God loves them. They scoff at the rules of the Bible. They label them as stringent, over the top. They reject God's love. You know why? Because they don't understand it. 
Many people reject the punishing hand of God. In their pride, they do not want God correcting them. They hate God for His correction because it shows them how feeble and wrong they are. In their pride, they reject God's love. Why? Because they refuse to understand it. Many people reject God's hand of providence. They lose faith in God that He really is in control. They reject God's love. Why? Because they choose not to understand it. Christians, it's time we learn to embrace God's love and see the power, its conserving power. See that God has given us the Holy Bible to protect you, to guard you, to save you, and yes, conserve you as long as you can remain under the spout where God's love flows out.